Welcome everyone to another episode of Bottled Up. Here it is uh, January 5th, 2019, the first episode of 2019. And it's been quite an interesting week in hindsight. Uh, first and foremost is the news that Ross Chastain, who was all but guaranteed a ride for in the 42 car in the Xfinity series for Chip Ganassi Racing, is now once again without a ride. This is due to the FBI rating his sponsor, DC Solar, uh, for what is believed to be tax evasion, is what the general story seems to be, although I don't believe there's <clears throat> any official word yet. However, Ross Chastain, <clears throat> fantastic driver that he is, is now without a sponsor, and therefore without a ride. Also, there have been other teams that have been shutting down the Xfinity series, uh, their Xfinity series, excuse me, teams. So it's going to be interesting watching it this next upcoming year, what teams will be running, what teams will be winning the most. And it seems like there's going to be a lot more all-star cars, which is where cup drivers come down and race in the lower series and typically win. That seems to be the common thread. It's also pretty much commonly accepted that Christopher Bell and Noah Gregson are going to be the two contenders for the cup there. I know Jeffrey Earnhardt, who we posted on the show before, is going to be running some races for Joe Gibbs Racing in the 18 car. He's going to be running a part-time schedule there. So that's going to be very, very interesting now that he's actually getting a chance in, in really good equipment. Last year he was running in the 96 car, just not, you know, the Conf Brothers Racing, just not at the level of some of the higher teams. It'll be fantastic to see him running well. That's the car that Ryan Priest dominated in, and now he's running the 47 next season. He just got his fire suit and everything, if you follow him on social media. It's pretty incredible the way he's worked his way up through the ranks. I've seen him race at Stafford Motor Speedway before. I've seen him race at Thompson in the Wheel and Modified Series. But he's worked his way through that series, was absolutely dominant, and went up to the Xfinity Series, was dominant there, and now he's going to be running full-time in the Cup. So it's going to be interesting to see. It seems like the 47 team was always really good at the road courses and I think that's partially AJ Allmendinger being a road course driver. That's his specialty. But you can't run well at road courses unless you have a good team behind you. So they've got all that information from when AJ was running with them that now they can carry over and perhaps we'll see Ryan Priest win Watkins Glen, Sonoma, the Roval, even. Who knows? That brings me on to my next point. More road courses are looking to be added that's what fans seem to want, is more short tracks, more road courses, and more intense racing. And we're kind of sort of getting that with the Roval being added. That's a fantastic addition that was announced really in the middle of last season. That's a fantastic addition to the series. However, we're not really getting any more short tracks confirmed yet. Nashville Speedway has been in talks with NASCAR, and I say that tentatively because nothing is ever set in stone until names are signed on contracts and everything is all set. Uh, but the rumor there is that they want to run a midweek race, like they'd be running on a Wednesday or Thursday, which would be a logistical nightmare for the teams, especially the smaller teams who don't have the resources of 20 cars per team with four different teams per per name, I should say. I suppose that's a pretty poor way of phrasing it. However, think of it as 
for Hendrick Motorsports, for example, the 2014, the 48, the 5, etc., etc. Well, not the 5 anymore, the 9 and the 88. However, my, my point is still there with each team having four smaller teams inside of it. Each car team having multiple cars that other teams might not have. So they, you know, Hendrick Motorsports could load up their hauler and do the race on Sunday. Then after that, they would be ready to race on Thursday, which would mean practices on Tuesday. So that's really one day to drive back, get another car loaded up and go. However, if you look go from them to, say, Gaunt Brothers Racing or uh, Tommy Baldwin Racing. Those smaller teams may not have as many cars. So unless they were to schedule this right after an off week, which is possible and would be would work well for the teams, it's, it's going to be quite difficult to head back to the shop, then turn around and head all the way to Nashville. That's another option where they wouldn't have to return to the shop, per se. However, this is something that not many fans consider, and really I used to never consider it until I uh, worked over at Indianapolis doing media for that race for the Brickyard 400 earlier this year. And the Xfinity Series race got rained out, and it was talking to those teams. The only thing on their minds was that they're racing on Monday, and they have to be ready to race Saturday. That's five days to get ready. And they were panicked that they couldn't do it. And they were wanting the Saturday race moved, they were wanting all these different things, but they had to drive from Indianapolis back to Charlotte, and I believe it was out to Auto Club, or Las Vegas actually, I think it was Las Vegas, yeah it was Las Vegas, for the next race, in five days they had to get a car ready, and it's just extremely difficult, extremely difficult on the teams, on the personnel, on the hauler drivers, and speaking of hauler drivers, there's actually been a change. I, I understand that no fans really follow the locations of the hauler drivers, but one thing that I did learn working in New Hampshire originally, uh, doing media for that race for the Foxwoods 301, was talking to the guys behind the scenes. Those are some of the nicest guys behind the drivers. You know, the drivers are incredible to talk to. It's fantastic just sitting down and talking to these drivers and hearing their opinions on things. But another perspective that I love to get is the guys that drive the haulers because they don't just show up and then sit in the hotel. Those guys show, they drive the hauler there. There's two of them per team, per car team. Two of them drive the truck there. And then those are the guys unloading the truck. They're the ones stocking the coolers for the guys. They're the ones that are, you know, hauling the gas tanks around the garage and they're transporting all the equipment and everything from the truck to the garage stall and everything else. And it's really, really incredible to talk to these guys and get their perspective on how they see the sport because they're really the backbone of it. You can't have a race all you can't have races all over the country if you don't have guys to take the cars there and to drive these seventy foot, you know, haulers with the cars inside, with lobbies and sleeping space. Well, not sleeping space per se, but uh like a lounge area down below and everything else it takes a lot of room and to drive those trucks all around the country all year long for nine months of the year is pretty incredible and talking to those guys is one of my favorite experiences and one of the drivers for the 24 team has gone over actually to the 21 team and it's funny i i know three truck drivers 
I know both of the drivers for the 24 hauler, and I knew one of the drivers for the 21 hauler, Wood Brothers Racing. Well, one of the guys that drove the 24 hauler, Mike, is now overdriving the 21 hauler. And the guy that he replaced there was the other guy that I knew, the only driver that I knew from that team, Terry. So it's it's just funny that the odds of that happening are one in, well, I'm not even going to calculate it, but very, very slim that it just happened to be those two exact guys. But best wishes to them if they're listening, and I hope they are. But best wishes there, and good luck to them. It's going to be weird going to the track and seeing Mike in, uh, in a different uniform, however... It's that's racing is jumping around and everything else. I feel like we've effectively covered silly season, except for the one one real question still up in the air is who's going to drive the forty one car. And all the sources in the world are pointing towards Eris sponsoring Daniel Suarez in that car. And I said before, I don't know how good of a fit he would be for that team. His driving style and everything else. He's you know Kevin Harvick. Clint Boyer, uh, they're just such aggressive drivers, and not stupid aggressive, but just aggressive, where they're like Ryan Newman. Every position to them matters. They won't let you by. They're never going to roll over and just let you go. It's just never going to happen. And they drive so hard, and Daniel Suarez hasn't really had that equipment in the cup to compete at that level. Sure, he was driving for Joe Gibbs Racing, but he was sort of the bottom priority behind Kyle Busch especially where he's just sort of the afterthought team that's going out there and finishing well but not really being competitive the only time he was really up towards the front that I recall besides super speedways is at Pocono well besides play tracks super speedways I should say is at Pocono where he was up in front and the only guy to pass him was his teammate Kyle Busch I don't know if he has that edge to, to drive and push it to the limit like Kevin Harvick and, and Clint Boyer and Eric, excuse me, Eric Almirola even, who fought harder than I've ever seen him fight for every position out on track. He wanted to win more than anybody else out there, and it was really incredible to see. And it goes to show, you know, wanting to win isn't everything. The execution behind your intentions is where he could have won at Dover but just caught bad luck, could have won the Daytona 500 but got spun right at the end, and it it's great how passionate he is and talking to him and, and seeing him on TV and everything, how passionate he is, how badly he wants to win, and he, he did get that win at Talladega, but he's sort of developed that driving style as of late where he is very aggressive, but not stupidly aggressive, but he will drive that car harder than anybody else. And will that continue? We're yet to see. But if Daniel Suarez, should Daniel Suarez go to the 41 like most sources are saying, then it's it's going to be interesting to see if he develops that mentality like Eric Almirola did where he went from pretty passive to driving driving his heart out for every position or if if he'll end up not staying. And if he ends up not saying, is that going to be due to a lack of synergy with the team and, you know, not exactly fitting in like I'm sort of predicting here? I hope I'm wrong. Let me just put that in before anything else. I do hope I'm wrong. I hope he goes out there and absolutely kills it. His story is fantastic. He is a really great driver, very talented driver, and I would like to see him win races. I would enjoy seeing it. However, I just don't 
know, looking at it from a logical, unbiased standpoint, if that would necessarily work out. Another alternative is that, he, you know, let's say he doesn't keep the sponsorship money. That's another possibility. Eris can't fully sponsor a team. It, it's the amount of money is unbelievable to fully sponsor a team for every single race. So unless he can find more secondary sponsors that might cover a race, you know, maybe three or four races a year, it's going to be more difficult for him to stay. Should he leave or should he not even be signed, then another possibility that uh, Monster Cup News on Instagram, another uh, journalist for NASCAR, is I believe he is directly contacting Stuart Haas Racing trying to get Ross Jessen to ride, which... Would be great to see, however, the sponsorship model, it's just too unbelievable for someone without major backing like DC Solar was to get in there. And unless someone like DC Solar can step up, maybe Hunt, well, probably not Hunt, uh, the first thought that came to my mind for whatever reason was Hunt Brothers Pizza, then I realized the reason that came to my mind was because when you associate Ross Chastain with the Xfinity series, the first thing that comes to mind is the time he got into it with Kevin Harvick and... I'm guessing that loose connection was made in my brain between Hunt Brothers Pizza sponsoring Kevin Harvick, Ross Chassain, and Kevin Harvick are st- sort of starting to go together in my mind from that incident at Darlington when they got into each other and got pretty heated, actually. But unless another sponsor steps up, unfortunately, the guys like Ross Chassain aren't going to get their big shots. And he's been running... You know, in, in pretty poor equipment Ross Chastain has in the X-Mandy series for years. And the guy's a watermelon farmer. And he worked his way up through the series and got his shot in a top-level team. And he won. He had three starts. And he won. And he got to pull in another. He was just an unbelievable driver. He really is. And unfortunately, he's not going to get the the chance that arguably he deserves. But racing isn't about deserving it the most, you know. The guy who wins at the end of the day isn't the one who deserved it the most, who did this, did that. The guy at the end of the day reached the finish line first. He was the fastest to the finish line, and that's all that matters. And you don't get that chance to even try to be the first guy to the finish if you can't bring the money to play the game, which is unfortunate, and that's a whole other conversation about right or wrong, how the sponsorship model is, It's incredibly difficult to race without money. To go into the personal side of things, as many of you know, I run a race team at Purdue. And we are the smallest budget in the field. There are teams that are spending $80,000, and we're spending a 40th of that. And it's just unbelievable how difficult it is to work on a limited budget. And this is on a much smaller scale. This is a, a college karting team, they're go-karts with motorcycle engines strapped onto them. We go about 70 miles an hour around a third of a mile track. And it's incredibly difficult where we have the talent. You know, our driver is fantastic. The guys working behind the scenes are fantastic. We don't have the money, and we haven't ever really had the money, and that's why in 60 years of racing, 63 years, it'll be this year, 62 prior years of racing, this team has never finished top five. In over 60 years, never finished top five. And 
we we work on such a limited budget now that it's incredibly difficult to work with. And we have our sponsors that help us out tremendously. Martin Vintage Shirts help us out tremendously. Uh, Greystone helps us incredibly. It's you know we're very lucky to have the sponsors that we have. But if you've ever worked in that situation in racing, you understand that without money, there's really nothing you can do. You can have one of the worst drivers in the world. Well, maybe not one of the worst, but if you get a guy that can keep the car on track and not drive off and not wreck the thing, and you give him $100,000 in, let's say, in this race, in the race that I run, well, yeah, you can dump so much money into an average to mediocre driver, and they'll probably go out and win. They'll at least finish top five, top three. And the unfortunate thing is, money speaks volumes in this sport. So you get the fantastic guys like Ross Chassain that just don't get the chance because they don't have the money. And you get guys like Paul Menard, whose father owns the retail chain Menards, who has one win at the Brickyard in 2014 off the top of my head. One win in how many years of racing in top-level equipment? There's guys, and not to, to diss Paul Menard, but if you were to put Paul Menard and Ross Chassain, both of their primes, in identical race cars, I can probably, you have a pretty good guess on who's going to win. Who the guy more deserving of the fast car, of the better team, is. But the point in all of this is it doesn't matter who the more deserving guy is. It's the guy who gets the most opportunities. And it's the same in everything. It's not always the most deserving person that gets the reward. It's the person that gets it in the end. The person that put themselves in the right place at the right time to capitalize on it. It's going to be an interesting year seeing it. I hope Ross Chastain finds a ride soon. There's guys that have started sponsoring themselves even. You look at Blake Cook, he made the playoffs with uh, Colleague Racing, and he was out of the seat next year. So he starts up his own company, it's filter time, and it's, it's a simple idea. You get air filters sent to your home every time they need to be changed. You don't have to go to the store to buy them. Simple, very effective. And through that, he's now sponsoring himself, and he's going to start running races. Now, is that a top-level team? Probably not. Is he going to make the playoffs? Probably not. They just don't have the capability behind them. But he's in a car, he's racing, and he's doing what he loves. It's Will that happen for Ross Chastain? Who knows? He's a watermelon farmer. Maybe he'll hit it big with some watermelon invention. I, I hope he does. I would love to see Ross Chastain out on the track, and I'd love to be able to go up to him in the media center one day and say, that was some fantastic driving, congratulations on your win. That would be really something else. But until that day, we're just left waiting and, and wondering. So Ross Chastain, out of a ride. Some of the more deserving guys are out of rides. And that's the way the sport is. There's talk of no title sponsor for the series in the next coming years. And that is to lower the cost and everything else. You know, less money needed in the sport. You know, we're moving towards easier packages, you know, cheaper engines, so that the lower teams have a chance to run with the higher teams. The new aero package, which I talk about extensively on this podcast, and everyone's probably sick and tired of hearing about it because it's just such a 
prevalent issue, but it's really one that's not going to go away until we figure out what will really happen with the racing. I've talked to the NASCAR executives in person, face-to-face, and they have openly admitted that they are doing this because they need to bring more fans in. Will this bring more fans in because the racing is slower, and but the cars are closer together and theoretically more action that way? Who knows? But the fans that watch for the cautions and just are waiting for cars to wreck and only care about cars spinning out and wrecking and flipping through the air, those aren't the fans that stay. It's very rare for them to watch because of that and then realize, oh, well, maybe I can just keep watching this. Unfortunately, it's not that common and doesn't really work that way. However, I could be wrong. I've been wrong many times before, and I hope I'm wrong on this. I would love to see it work out and, you know... If push comes to shove and next season the racing is the best I've ever seen, it's fantastic, guys are loving it, drivers are loving it, fans are loving it, and they're flocking back and filling the empty seats, I would be the first to say, boy, I was wrong. But until then, we don't really know. It's it's going to be interesting to see where things end up. And I say that in every episode, it's going to be interesting to see. Because that's all we can do is speculate and say, well... I guess sooner or later we're going to have to see. We're only a few Sundays away from Daytona. And once that day comes, it's going to be a whole other level. And we get the West Coast Sweep, which is a lot of mile and a half to two, you know, super speedway tracks. And that's going to be... It kind of gives you a good idea of what the package will be. I think we'll get a good glimpse at Auto Club. But until then, we are really still on the fence. But... To everyone listening, once again, you guys are what makes what make this podcast possible. For a guy to just sit and talk about NASCAR for 20 plus minutes a week, it is an incredible honor. I absolutely love it, and I, I couldn't be more happy with the fact that I'm able to do this. I'm hoping for so much more in 2019, more guests, more interesting stuff to talk about, more listeners, more everything. Everything is going to go through the roof this coming year, and that I can assure you of. So... I hope you all keep listening, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Bottled Up on Wiley Radio.